Whew. Whew. Y'all are not going to believe the morning that I had. Oh my goodness, I barely made it. It is good to see all y'all today. How are y'all doing? That's good. That's good. Whew. Well, I, I just wanted to kind of let you know that next week is homecoming. Not this week. It's next week. And we will actually be out at North Campus, where I was just at just a second ago. Uh, and we're going to be over there. And we, we're going to be uh, all together, one service at 10 o'clock on, on, the, on the soccer field. Now, we have two soccer fields out there. It'll be on the side that uh, Master's Garden is on. And so if you want, it, the way you'll do it is just kind of pull in like I did in the video. Uh, just pull in and, and you'll park back there near the, near the gym and, and we'll head out there onto the field. Now if you need some help, assistance getting onto the field, just park in the Master's Garden front parking lot and, and we'll have someone there to, to help and assist you. And so without further ado, let, let's get started. Let's get our hearts ready to worship and to, to lift up God and to, to worship Him and let's just start by a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for, for who you are and, and how much you love us. And God, how much you've shown us that you love us. God, your word is full of, of great and wonderful promises. And today we're going to talk about those promises. And, and Lord, may we just focus on you right now. May our hearts be, be full of of thankfulness and gratitude to what your son did on the cross and and how that has brought us all here together today and how next week we'll we'll celebrate uh, just all that you've done in this in this church Lord it's in your son's name I pray amen let's stand together and worship this morning celebrate what an amazing God we have and all that he's done for us. Water you turned into wine, open the eyes of the blind, there's no one like you, none like you. darkness you shine out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you none like you our God is greater our God is stronger God you are higher than any other our God is healer awesome in power our God our God Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, Awesome in power, our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? If our God is with us, then what could stand against? What could stand against? Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. 
awesome in power, our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. 
from now to eternity be filled with praise for you father whether it's what comes out of our mouth or just the way we live our lives i pray that we will live in a way that honors and glorifies you in everything because father you have done so much for us and father just who you are makes you praiseworthy continue to be glorified during our service now god Teach us from your word. Challenge us and change us. Make us aware of your presence right now, Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad you're out. Isn't it a beautiful day? All right. I think I think I got a couple agreements on that. Um, would you turn, go ahead and turn to Numbers um, we're going to be in chapters 13 and 14 for a little while. Um, I, the majority of our text this morning is Numbers 13, but we're continuing in the series called Recalibrate. And you remember as we began this series a little while back that when we talk about Recalibrate, we're talking about adjusting our attitudes and our actions to that which God wants, turning, him, turning us back to what God desires. And so when we look at this, we're going to notice a couple of different things. And I will give you some background as we get into Numbers chapter 13. Uh, you remember that the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. They were brought out of Egypt. God did some miraculous things for them along the way. Has them in Sinai Peninsula. And um, they hang out there for a little while. Um, you remember the story that, that Moses is up on the mountain and the people come to Aaron, complain. Um, he takes their gold, fashions it to a calf. We talked about that. And then Moses comes back down and this whole, whole idea of leaving God and wanting to worship something different. Um, setting up for themselves a God. And so there was this, there was this tense, uh, maybe stressful relationship between the God of all creation and Israel, a nation that had been brought out of slavery. So you have this, this weird relationship between, between them, and there seems to be an erosion of purpose among the Israelites. You remember, when they were brought out of Egypt, they were promised something, right? What were they promised? They were promised land, weren't they? Well, we're going to take you to a land that'll be yours, and I'm going to give it to you. So they come out, and we get over to Numbers chapter 12, and it's, it's a continuation of their journey. In Numbers chapter 12... There is an episode where Miriam and Aaron, brother and sister to Moses, you remember they're, they're the elder children. They're the older kids in the family. And they begin to grumble against Moses. Now, it's not the first time that there had been grumbling, but this is really the first time we see that Moses is grumbled against by brother and sister. And what do, what do they say? We are grumbling. We are mad at you. We are upset because you married Zipporah, a Cushite woman, an Ethiopian, somebody of different skin color, and they turn and say, is Moses the only one that God ever speaks through? Why not us? We're part of leadership, right? And so they, they come up with this, and then what's interesting in chapter 12 is that God summons all three of them to the tent of meeting. Now, it's one thing for Moses to get summoned by God to come to the tent of meeting. It's another thing for God to say, I want all three of you and I want you in front of me now. It's like a family meeting getting called down by dad. And I'm not talking about dad with a high voice. I'm talking about dad with a really low voice. I need to see you now with middle names included. And so they come to the tent of meeting and God confronts Miriam and Aaron about their complaint against Moses. And out of that, Miriam is struck with leprosy. She's sent outside the camp. So it becomes a very visual thing for the Israelites to see as they are camped there. And they cannot move until Miriam is clear of that. So she stays outside the camp. And at the end of that period, 
comes back in and we get to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, God tells the people of Israel, actually through Moses, to choose for them guys to represent each tribe to spy out the land of Israel, what would be Israel. So they're to choose 12, 12 men. And says so they, so they um, seemingly are of one heart at that point, the beginning of chapter 13. Seems like they're on the same page because they've moved and God's leading them back up toward the land and their job is to spy out the land. Now, the word spy here does not mean to go undercover in a covert operation to, to kind of sneak around. And, and, and I was just thinking about what it meant to, for our women's ministry to spy out where they're going to do fall retreat. You know, can you imagine if it was a covert operation? Becky Johnson and Sherry Spinks and some of these others that have gone on this trip, like sneaking around corners and hiding under tables to check out where they're going to stay. I mean, it would be hilarious. But that's not the idea here. Their job is to go into the land and just look it over, to kind of journey through it, to explore, to um, inventory, to appraise the situation. So that's their job, is to go up there, and they're to be there for 40 days. So at the end of 40 days, they're to come back and give a, give a report to the people and to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. They are on the brink of the promise. And they ask a question in, in all of this, will God come through? When I moved to Columbia Bible or Columbia Graduate School of Bible and Missions, which is now Columbia International University, I went with the idea, with faith in God, that God was leading me into ministry and was going to take care of me. And I went with no money. I think I've told you this before. I had no finances when I showed up. Fixed the water pump on my car the day before, had my car packed to the ceiling, showed up, and they told me where I was staying. I hadn't given them any money. And the question, even having faith about being led there, was, will God come through? And they're asking the same question. Will God come through for them? And we've got to know in our hearts that God is faithful even when we doubt. Well, that's the bottom line. That's the big idea for this morning, that God is faithful even when we doubt. And so look at chapter 13, verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So we have the directive of God given to Moses, going to get passed on to the Israelites, that they are to send men from each tribe. Now, who are these guys? Well, we have a, a list of them here, but if we were to look at them and say, what are the characteristics of these guys? We would say they are men of leadership. They're able to look at what's around them and assess the reality of the situation. So we'd say they can assess their, their leaders, but they're also men of influence. They, they have a voice. They're able to communicate. And so these 12 men go in from each tribe and they go into the land to spy it out. And if you notice one phrase in here, in chapter or in, in verse, uh, verse 2, it says, Send men to spy out the land which I am giving to the people of Israel. That's a key phrase because if we leave that out, it's really about what can the people do. But God is saying on the front end, I'm giving the land to the people. This is mine. And so God, we understand, is sovereign and has dominion. He has the strength. He has the ability. He is um, the one who, in which there are no constraints on who and what He rules and reigns over. Listen to what one, Psalm 145.3 says. It's part of what was on the screen before the homecoming video this morning. It says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. We're talking about a big God. It's the big God that the people of Israel are in relationship with. 
And God says, I will give them the land. God has the ability and the authority to give this land to the people. But look what happens. The, the leaders are charged with going in and they examine, they're to examine the crops and the land. They're to examine the people and, and find out, are they organized? Are they strong? Are they weak? What is their attitude? Are they united or divided? What is this people? What do the people look like? And how do they act? And then they're to look at the cities. Are they protected? Or are they vulnerable? And, and these are things that these 12 guys, as they journey throughout the land, can look at and say, this is how we assess the situation. And so we get to the most important element of this is the report. And it comes down to how these men, these 12 men, interpret the information that they have. So they've got this set of data that they're bringing to the table and they're looking at it and they're conveying to uh, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, they're conveying to the, the rest of leadership and they're conveying to the nation what the reality is. But they don't see the same reality. Look at Numbers 13, starting at verse 25. At the end of the 40 days they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to this land to which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit." Remember, they came back with a cluster of grapes that was held between two poles. And, I mean, it was just a magnificent sight at this point when they walk in and begin to tell this report. We showed up, we looked at the land, and we assessed that it is a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, that's a, that's a phrase that we don't often use, but essentially it's, it's, it's an abundant land. It's a great land. It can provide for us. It's sweet. And so they're bringing this report, and if we were to say it, we'd say it's sweet. You know, it's, it's like um, good Georgia sweet tea on a hot summer day in the backyard. It's good stuff. And, and they come with this report and say, this is how the land looks to us. And then we get to the beginning of verse 28. It says, however... The people dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Nagab. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. And so what they bring back is they bring back this picture of how good the land is. And then they begin their next phrase with the word, however. However. It's the, it's the idea that there is not only positive in this, but here's the negative side. Here's what we want to share with you. And it's the, it's the same as somebody telling you or somebody walking up to one of our praise team and saying, that solo was so awesome if you'd have been on key. Or, or that cake, I love that cake, but it needed more icing. You know, however, it needed more icing. So we can, take, we can take those phrases and understand, here's all this good stuff, and we're going to negate everything that's good by saying what is bad and putting, making it bold, italicizing it, highlighting it, and saying this is the problem, this is the obstacle, this is the hurdle, this is my issue. And so these guys come back, and that's the report given by almost all of the guys. Ten out of the twelve guys come up with this, and essentially they are beholden to fear and not vision. They've given in to what is wrong about the situation instead of what is right about the situation. They've given in to what brings fear instead of what comes from the promise of God. And when you negate the promise of God, you are in big trouble. See, there are conditions and climates in which we dwell when we ask, will God come through? 
Here are some of them. We can be dismayed because of delayed promises. How many times have you heard in the last couple months that school is going to begin in person? But it's delayed. Let's delay it a little bit more. Okay, so we, get, we can get dismayed by that. There's this promise that this will happen and it just doesn't. But it keeps getting put off. So, so it, the promise gets moved from here to here to here and it keeps getting moved out of the picture for us. And so we become discouraged. The second thing is we can be disgruntled over unfulfilled promises. I remember growing up and my dad would say, when we're done with this, we're going to go get some ice cream. Got too late. Couldn't have ice cream. It becomes an unfulfilled promise. And, and I, you know, as a kid, you get mad. It's like, you promised. You said I could have ice cream. You know, the, the voice gets a little higher and squealy. Even as an adult, if Deb says I can have ice cream and then, then she changes her mind, I can get squealy on her. We can get disgruntled. Third thing is we can be destroyed because of broken promises. I will be at your game when it starts. Then the parent doesn't show up. Maybe there to pick you up at the end, but doesn't see any of the game. Or I'm going to begin at the beginning of the game, so I'll be there when, you, when you're starting. And the parent shows up halfway through the game and misses when you were actually in the game. They get to watch you on the bench. We can be destroyed on the inside by broken promises and then doubt because we are weary in our faith. We can just come up with doubt. We're worn down. We're exhausted. You see, for the Israelites and for us, sometimes fear and doubt are cousins. They go together. If we fear what's going to happen, we begin to have doubts and what God has promised to the Israelites, they begin to look at the circumstances and fear the, the possibilities of going into the land. And out of that came this doubt of, can God do it? Will God do it? And we can't. And instead of going in, it's met with some other, uh, another situation. See, God is faithful even when we doubt. Look at verse 30. Verse 30, Caleb responds. Verse 30 says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. What is it that Caleb's talking about? Is he, he's, he didn't use the word them. We're well able to overcome them. No, we're able to overcome the circumstance which we find ourselves, this idea of fear and forgetting what God has promised. We're well able to occupy the land. Caleb quieted the people. That word quiet is the word hasa. Um, it means to hush, be still. And so he says this, he says, we're able to occupy the land, take it, we can do it, let's go. He's all excited about going in. And in verses 31 through 33, we see a pushback on what Caleb says. But, however, this task is too big for us. So jump down to chapter 14. It says, Then all the, cre all the congregation raised up a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt? Have we heard that before? Or would we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Seems to me that their memory is super short. They have forgotten what took place in Egypt, and they forgot everything that happened from the time they were in Egypt, putting blood on the doorposts of their homes, and coming out all the way to the place where they're at. 
they began to doubt whether God would do it. And it says the people wept. God's promise had faded from view for them. They grumbled, we could have died much better than this. That's just a a kind of a crazy statement anyways. There's a better place to die than, than this. Let's go back to Egypt and die. Or we could have died on the way here, that would have been better. And then the people rebelled, a new, essentially saying a new leader will fix everything. It seems to me that they sort of tried that with the golden calf and that did not. See, there's no resolution apart from trusting God. None. Here's the way Jeremiah would record it in Jeremiah 17, 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. And so we we read that when we walk away from God and we walk away from His promises, we will be sorely disappointed and even to the place of a curse. And we read that in, in Numbers. Does any of this remind you of a New Testament story where a promise is made and the people involved in the situation forget the promise? And God has to straighten it out and call their attention to who He is. Anything come to mind? Turn to Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. Mark 4.35, and there's a story here that that I want us to just read through very quickly. Mark 4.35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, talking, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Jesus, in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Essentially, they were saying, Will God come through? Do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Or hush, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I mean, I hear parallels between that and, the, and what's recorded in Numbers because in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says, let's go to the other side. There's a promise. We're going to arrive. And yet in the middle of it, circumstances arise that cause them to question, will God come through? And in the end, Jesus puts this calmness into the situation and talks to the wind and waves and says, be calm, be still. Just hush. And I think just as much as he said it to the waves and the wind, he could have said it to the disciples who were in a panic. Just be still. Just calm down. Much like Caleb did to the Israelites when they started talking about all the obstacles and all the circumstances that would prevent them from following God and pursuing the promise that God had given them. I will give you the land because I'm able to. We're in a study on Wednesday night of Barnabas Piper's called Help My Unbelief. And this is what he says. He says, evidence can convince us or convince the intellect of certain facts. It cannot sway the soul past the point of I just don't believe. If I give you facts, I can be convinced. But moving your soul from fear and doubt 
to faith and trust is something that God does. We have to be open to allowing God to do that. And so here are the principles for us. Is not everyone will see God's promise from the same vantage point. Not everyone's going to see God's promise from the same vantage point. Joshua and Caleb were part of the twelve that went in to spy out and check out and journey the land. And they came back with a completely different perspective on what God was up to. I think they heard those words, I will give you the land, and they just turned and said, if God's going to give it to us, we really don't even need to spend 40 days checking it out. God's just going to give it to us. We're going to trust His promise. But there are ten guys that said no. Second thing is obstacles can lead us to dismiss God's promises. How many times have we faced difficult circumstances and we decided that the promise of God was not good enough and we would seek out whatever we wanted more than what God had already promised? You know, circumstances we go through are things that are created or um, at least open to us by the Holy Spirit so that we become more mature in Christ. Those obstacles are there on purpose. Do you think that if that land had been completely empty, there would have taken much faith for them to occupy the land? No, none at all. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it, it needed to be that way. It needed to be where the land was occupied, and it was an overwhelming situation for them to walk into if they were going to trust God by faith and walk in that promise. The people in that land were no greater than the Egyptians that died in the Red Sea. They weren't any bigger, weren't any stronger, weren't any mightier or any more together. God took care of it here. He could take care of it here. And they forgot what was in between. They forgot that God had promised them. Obstacles can lead us to dismiss God's promises. The third thing is that forgetting God's promises pushes us to be inward focused. Look what happened to the people of Israel. Where did they turn when the circumstances looked bleak? What did they say? We could have died in Egypt. It would have been okay if we would have died in the wilderness before this, but you're going to take us up there and let us die by the sword to get to have our wives and children eaten by prey? And not only is it dramatic, and maybe a little over the top, but it is so inward focused that they forgot that the purpose of the nation of Israel was to proclaim God's glory to everybody around them. It wasn't just for them. When we look at the circumstances around us, whether it be budget crunches or building issues or whatever it happens to be, if we look at those and those become the primary things that we see, when we think about church, then we've forgotten what our purpose is and the vision that God has given us for moving forward in His promise. Forgetting God's promises pushes us to be inward focused. We make it about us. And it's not. This building is very comfortable this morning, but this is not about your comfort. It's well lit. Mostly. Because we have issues. We have obstacles. But you showed up anyways. And I'm glad you didn't allow that to get in the way of you being in this place. Don't forget God's promises. Because when we forget God's promises, we start looking and thinking about ours. My comfort. My desire. How I feel about it. The last thing is that God is faithful even when we doubt. Maybe we ought to repeat that again. God is faithful even when we doubt. And so what do we need to consider? First thing that we can consider in, as, in the form of a question is, what obstacles have our attention? Let me give you a list of them because they're overwhelming and when you put them all together, they're even bigger. We have COVID, we have Black Lives Matter, we have 
presidential race. We have schools reopening, violence, racial tension, health concerns, um, policing, justice, and a Supreme Court nominee. Let's just throw it all on the table. It, to me, if you throw all that on the table, it looks like a glittery mess. Because it can grab our attention and hold our attention. And we forget that there is a God who has sovereign, is sovereign and has dominion over everything. When we forget that God is God, we allow those things to be bigger than God. The obstacles become too big. And so we'll be like the ten that'll say we just can't overcome this. And so we get in our fetal position and cower down in a corner and say there's no use. God's not in control and I can't do anything about it. Second question, how are you seeing the obstacles and God's promises? How are you seeing it? Are you seeing life right now through the filter of God's sovereignty or His goodness? Or are you seeing those obstacles by your ability and your knowledge? Which filter are you using? Because even, even when we talk about COVID, you could throw some of these things in any place. What is God doing in those? We just talk about that. There is a, a degree of good that has come out of this that, that it's sometimes hard to grasp. For instance, there are parents that are finding out what is being taught in schools that they did not know because they weren't present. Now they're present. Now there can be a little pushback on what is taught because what is taught and in the schools when no parents are there can be against the value system of the parents in the home. So parents have been enlightened in some ways about what is being projected Churches are having to be creative in ministry. And really, it ought to drive us to a new outward focus because we can't meet in the building like we did. We're meeting now, but it's still not the same. Relationship values are increased, and we have the opportunity to show love and care in a practical way. I don't know how many of you actually drove by um, Amanda and Vaughn's place yesterday because their adoption went through for for the two boys, but they had a celebration. And they couldn't celebrate here and bring everybody into a space, but they could celebrate as people drove by and said, man, this is awesome that God is using you to bless two children and bring those other two children into your home with your already two children, making it a really crazy household. I'll just leave it at that. But God is using, can use even the church in opportunities to care and love in practical ways. See, we've not lost our vision. The vision is still there. Our vision is still to help you find a place, find a place to, to fit in and be part of, to build your faith, to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and to make a difference in the world around you. It's just that those three pieces, because of all the circumstances around us, those three pieces look different. It doesn't make them go away. See, there's still a way that we can find a place within the body of Christ. There's still a way to build our faith. And it's not going to be handed to you on a silver platter. It means that some in some ways, we've got to move out of what we are used to and move into something we are unfamiliar with so that we can continue to grow in our relationship with Christ. And then make a difference just means stepping into places that maybe aren't comfortable, maybe take us out of the way, make us drive different places or do whatever it is. So that vision is still there. What if Proverbs 3, 5 read like this? Trust in the Lord with most of your heart and try to make a go of it, leaning into your own understanding of each situation. That wouldn't be good. You're right. It's not what it says. This is how it reads. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and 
Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll direct your paths. And that's the, that's the idea of leaning into a God that promises versus leaning on myself who, has the, who is unable or unable to accomplish what only God can do. Because God is sovereign, He's wise, and He sees past the temporary nature of the circumstances we live in. And He's faithful even when we doubt. So here's the last question. Have you turned your life, even your church life, inward? Have the circumstances around you caused you to say, I am not, or I feel, or I need? Instead of saying, what can I do? How can I connect with God? How can I connect with others? See, it's natural when we consider that God may it's it's natural when we consider that God may be up to something bigger that's beyond our comp- comprehension, but trusting in the God that is doing something bigger and beyond our comprehension is another story. So we can have an intellect that says we understand that but putting it into practice is something different. Let me give you another quote from Barnabas um, that was in the video last Wednesday. It says, Faith is not the lack of doubt, it's the correct response to doubt. See, all of us struggle with this. All of us struggle with some bit of, will God come through? And we can doubt, but when we go to God, Because it all hinges on our response. When we go to God, we say, God, I trust you with this, even if I don't understand it, even if it looks big, even if the people in the land are bigger than we can handle, I still trust you. I still have faith in you. that You can accomplish something miraculous. God promises His presence. It's what Moses negotiated for. I'm not going if you're not going. God promises His presence. And God promises His peace. And in the midst of what we are dealing with right now, His presence and His peace ought to hold more value than anything else we can possibly see or understand. And we tr- when we trust God and have faith, even in the midst of our doubts, It'll be amazing what God can do as we let Him. So we get to be like Caleb and Joshua. We get to have a report that says, yeah, the circumstances around us are super huge and and we can't deal with them on our own. But let's go take it. Let's go do it because God is faithful and He's promised. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning and Your Word. The, the, um, even though this situation leads, leads the Israelites to be stuck, leads a generation to miss out on the promise of God, Father, we read in Your Word that You are faithful. That You will accomplish what You want to, and God, You see it as good from Your perspective. God, even in our circumstances now are tough, yet You can use those circumstances to draw us closer to You. So Father, may we feel Your presence and understand Your peace as we live out these days before Your coming. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't really know what God is doing in your life and what obstacles you have. They may be really big. They may be somewhat big. But I want to tell you that God promises His presence and His peace. So I want to take a few moments as Wayne leads us for us just to, to hush and be still and to recognize that God is in control and that He is the one that will provide for us. And like Jesus asked in Mark 4, where is your faith? How can we still have so little? 
And ask God to increase your faith and to use you in the midst of all that we're going through for His glory. Would you join us as we, as we worship and as we respond to the Father in the way God calls us to? Would you stand and sing along with Wayne? And, and maybe it's just that you need to be still and pray. Maybe even some of you would want to come to the front. I, I, I invite you to come. Go before the Father and trust Him. Just as I am without one plea, but that Thy blood was shed. so much for your faithfulness. Holy Spirit, when things around us become overwhelming, remind us that you are faithful in every situation and that we can lean into you and your understanding. Reveal that to us and remind us of that daily, hourly, minute by minute when we need it, God. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you all.